Welcome to the other side of midnight. Tonight, Timothy Saunders and I, Kinsia, are co-hosting for Richard C. Hoagland. Our guest tonight is Chuck App, and the show is called Chronicles of a Contemporary Explorer, Unraveling Ancient History Without Agenda or Bias. So I want to, uh, I'm pretty excited to do this show tonight, and I want to share a little bit about Chuck. He is uh, the creator of a very prolific YouTube channel, and it's called CF App 7865. Anyway, it's on the webpage, and he's created over a thousand videos. His uh, fascination with the ancient mysteries on this planet, especially Egypt, have been riveting. Uh, his, he was first turned on to the uh, study of Egyptian artifacts by Graham Hancock's book, Fingerprint of the Gods, which he credits with saving his life. And I want to ask him about that in a moment. Uh, it reawakened his childhood curiosity about history and inspired him towards positive action. He set out to educate himself reading and watching anything he could pertaining to ancient history and anomalies. He was greatly influenced by John Anthony West, and he'll tell us more about that. And he is an explorer. He, one of the amazing things is he taught himself how to read hieroglyphics. So, Chuck, welcome to the other side of midnight. So pleased that you could join us. I'm honored to be here. Thank it's a little you. <laughs> I'm so curious. What first put you on this venture? Like when you were a child, what was it that got you on this path, or or did it come into your life later on? Well, I suppose I've always been a curious person. And I think that is mainly what drives me is my curiosity. And I know when I was a kid, I used to watch a show called In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. And I'm sure a lot mm -hmm. of people remember that show. And that was really the only place that really explored ancient mysteries on TV. And this is, of course, way before the Internet. And I remember being really interested in that. And <clears throat> excuse me, I uh, just was always interested and I came across fingerprints of the gods, and that was something that was really a kind of a synchronicity for me because I had read a book by uh, Graham Hancock called The Lords of Poverty in the, in the 80s, and the only reason why it kind of triggered my memory is his name and the recognition there. So I picked up fingerprints of the gods, and that just set me on my path. I answered a lot of questions that I always wondered about. And uh, I know I say uh, I credit it for saving my life, and people think, well, God, he's being a little over dramatic there. But after I got divorced, I went through a rough time, a pretty self-destructive time. Um, right after I got divorced and living in Minnesota, I moved to Las Vegas, and maybe that isn't the wisest thing to do when you're a little angry and self-destructive after you uh, get divorced. But uh really wasn't leading a positive life. And back uh, in Minnesota, I found uh, 
I moved back there after about six years out here in Vegas. And back in Minnesota, I found Fingerprints of the Gods. And boy, it really, uh, it really changed the way I thought about things and set me on this road to research and let me take the time that I was using to kind of wreck myself and totally change myself and set myself kind of on a positive path. And I've always been interested in uh, challenging myself mentally in mind games, crossword puzzles I did. So hieroglyphics kind of became my newest crossword puzzle. And I've just tried to immerse myself in as much as I could. And I know you mentioned John Anthony West and other things. And it's been really uh, quite the road and uh, Egypt is just not the only thing I talk about on my channel. I talk about as many things as I can, try to open up new things to my viewers. And I learn just as much from them. And people kind of think, boy, Chuck, you really know a lot about history. But I'm just making videos and learning along the way and sharing with my viewers and just kind of uh, learn my way along the way. Well, you know what I like about that is that your curiosity, it's born out of an innate um, desire within you, and it's pulling you forward. And that focus, that drive is causing you to learn. It's not like someone outside of you is saying, go learn this. But as I understand, you have even challenged some of the views that others have held because you're not, shall I say, contaminated by um, traditional Egypt, ar Egyptian archaeology. And no, no, not at all. Mm -hmm. I and think Graham, Graham Hancock, I, I think I should uh, mention this, is my YouTube career really started when listening to his first conversation with Joe Rogan. I think it's podcast number 142. It's one of the first ones he did. But I was not into YouTube at all, and I thought it was for making silly videos and didn't know anything about it. And then I listened to that podcast, and just the way he talked about how the current standard model of history doesn't change, and when people have new ideas, they get, they get uh, really attacked. And that really kind of offended me when I heard that podcast, and that really taught me a lot about not only about ancient history and what Graham had to say, but how history and new views are taken. And when I get kind of offended and that's when I kind of get chatty on my channel, when things that are put forward by the people who are supposed to give us the real history, give us a bunch of stuff that, you know, can be easily taken apart. I think, uh, I think people need to be outspoken of what we have been taught, especially when it's flimsy and inadequate and uh, incomplete. Well, I I heard you called the Internet Explorer, and I'm curious why why are you called the Internet Explorer? Maybe the Google Earth Explorer. Ah. <laughs> uh, how, I, think, how uh, I started using Google Earth probably back about six years ago. I've been making videos probably for about seven and a half years, and I started using Google Earth as an intro and uh, an exit to my videos because it was a great place just to zoom people in to the ancient site I'm talking about, they exact they know exactly where on the earth it is. And even my viewers sometimes pick up stuff when I'm zooming in on Google Earth that I don't even see. So I just think Google Earth is a great tool. And, and trust me, I know 
nothing beats being at these megalithic sites and doing videos from the sites and reporting from the sites. And I know I'm sure people who have been to these ancient sites look at people like me who have never been there and they wonder, you know, what can this guy actually know? But, you know, as much as I can, <laughs> that's the way I look at it, as much as I can immerse myself in. And, well, uh, you know what I like about that is that you have not let anything stand in the way of your hunger to learn. And so anyone in our audience could pick up Google Earth and go exploring around the world. I know that Roger Spur also uses Google Earth to find amazing structures. Yes. And uh, one thing about my channel, I kind of like it to be the people's channel. And I would say 30 to 35% of my videos are by requests. People will say, can you look into this? And it's something I haven't talked about on my channel and I make a video about it. So that's another reason why I have a lot of videos is because they're directly viewer inspired. And I think mm -hmm. they like that. Mm -hmm. The interaction is great. So I'd like to welcome our other host, Timothy Saunders, to jump in as well. Timothy? <laughs> Where are you? I'm jumping. Good evening. <laughs> good, Matt. good morning. Very yeah, good. He's in yeah, Turkey, so if you hear any roosters, that's it. <laughs> yeah, except turkeys, turkeys make a different noise completely, don't they? But um, anyway, yeah. we'll perhaps we'll discuss that later in the show. Well, good morning. It's very, very definitely... Uh, bright sunny morning here and um, I have lots of questions. Chuck, I'm delighted you're on, on the show this evening and uh, you know, we, we've had some very interesting conversations in the last few days over the last week or so. Yes, the there's, about, uh, there's about 10 sites in Turkey I want you to take me to. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I mean, uh, I, I still think it would be wonderful if we could do a show, a live show from Göbekli Tepe. And a, an obvious one, we, we talk about it frequently on this show. But I mean, there are, there are many more, uh, you know, sites which are not necessarily high on, on the uh, sort of um, tourist hit list. A lot of hidden ones as well. I think, Chuck, you, you have yourself, you have one or two uh, ideas that you'd like to explore. I think we talked about your long list of other other sites to explore. Um I, I, it's all a question of priority, isn't it? Which one comes first? And what I really enjoy is, is the way that you you do take note of your uh, listeners, listeners, your your watchers, your followers, and uh, you know I, I think in the last few days you you recently put a new YouTube channel, um, YouTube uh, podcast up. Was it the the first of the top ten mysteries in Egypt? Was it? Yeah. Sometimes when I. Uh... Sometimes I look at viewer mail and my uh, Facebook account maybe twice a week. And uh, ancient history is not anything that's attached to my real life. It's just something I do in my spare time, maybe an hour or two a day I look at it or research it. But for seven years, you do that every day. You look at a lot of stuff. But when I look at my uh, emails, and there are multiple emails about the same subjects. And I think I had about five of them in the last three weeks saying, can you make a top 10 list of the most mysterious ancient sites in Egypt? And I think that is a great question because I have looked at sites and made videos on sites that no other channels have made videos on in Egypt. And I've looked at all the pyramids. So I think that'll be a pretty unique list of unknown sites, plus, of course, well-known sites, like the site that you talked about with my buddy Ben last week. 
yeah, the therapy and that that was that was a hell of a show. I really enjoyed speaking with Ben about that. Yeah, um, I think he, I was uh, chatting with Ben uh, right before the show. In fact, here I really like him. He's a really smart guy. Yeah, I mean he's very knowledgeable and presents his information, his perspective very very well. I think he's fluid. It was very fluid and. Uh, a very easy conversation. In fact, we, three hours was just not anywhere near enough to talk about our subjects. We only talked about one one side, really. Yes, so, I uh, like uh, I like corresponding with other uploaders. There are a few well-known uploaders that I correspond with on a fairly regular basis, and I enjoy talking with them about ideas, and they give me tips about making videos because I'm kind of a technical idiot. When I first started making videos, I did not not know anything about computers. I barely knew how to send an email. So I always appreciate appreciate little tips from other viewers and or, uh, other uploaders who are in my kind of same shoes. So uh, I think corresponding with them is very important. And especially when they kind of look at things in a slightly different way than you do, you kind of learn from just your normal chats that you have over email or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I'd like to um, address one of the points you guys are just talking about just now, and that, that is that you're saying that, you know, you from remote remote viewing, you can gain a lot of information about a site, uh, and then you're saying, you know, for the ancient Egyptians. I think there's a, there's a very interesting point there. Is that Timothy? You, yes. Timothy, I'm sorry, but that last sentence cut out. Can you repeat the last sentence? Sorry about yeah. that. Uh, I was just saying that I think there is a, a lot to be gained from researching a site, from remote remote viewing a site. Um, of course, going to the site itself, an, an ancient Egyptian site, is spectacular, amazing in a different way. But if we consider the Great Pyramid and the Giza Plateau is now walled off, you know, a la Mr. Trump, maybe. Um, and, you know, when you go in there, uh, you're sort of guided around, you're sort of, you know, this way, this way, that way. There's a guide over there, there's a series of, you know, camel rides over here. It's kind of, you're offered a, a choice, but a choice along certain avenues, which is kind of controlled. So, you know, you're not really going to be, get very far by wandering off across, across the desert to say, oh, Looks, looks like it's an old stone over here that aligns with this one. I wonder what that is. And plus the fact the site is so huge, it's very difficult to gain gain perspective, actually. So I think that, you know, to use Google Earth, and a lot can be seen, a lot can be gleaned. And I'm absolutely, you know, I've visited, I've been fortunate enough to have visited Egypt around six times. I say six times, I think it's six times. Um, but still, you know, uh, I'm hugely surprised by the things Chuck is finding. And uh, it kind of brings me to probably how I, how I met Chuck in the first place. I met, never met physically or um, face-to-face, but uh, I, the first time I watched one of his podcasts, one of your podcasts, was about this, this site, Abu Ruwash, and this term which is um, people, um, you know, mainstream sort of uh, Egyptian archaeologists are giving it is this the unfinished pyramid um, in my right. opinion there's nothing unfinished about it at all in my opinion it's a misunderstood pyramid and uh, it's absolutely fine thank you very much there's nothing unfinished about it 
But you know, I was absolutely amazed to see that pyramid that opened my eyes, and then uh, I realized also that Carmen Bolta, who very kindly joined us a few weeks ago, um, the first of our series of Egyptian shows, um, she also mentioned Abu Ruwash in the um, the opening of the Pyramid Code, which I enjoyed that series very, very much. Uh, but Abu Ruwash, would you like to uh, talk a little bit about this, Chuck? I and mean, I think it's one of one of the good starting points we could we could take this evening. Well, I think uh, the whole unfinished pyramid story is just comes from me being thorough. And I think in the summer of 2017, I was looking around and you hear Zahi West talking about all the Egyptian pyramids and you. I started looking at different lists and there was different numbers and we're all familiar with the great pyramids and the red and the bent and the big ones. But I was wondering what were all these other things that were called pyramids. And so I decided to make a series where I looked at every single pyramid that they call a pyramid in Egypt. And that was the best thing I've ever done as far as understanding what these structures actually were, because there are many different forms there. Of course, there's the huge great pyramid and then there's, smaller, really small pyramids that were built just a dynasty later, they say, in the chronology. And the story just didn't make sense. But Carmen Bolter, I'm glad you mentioned her because the Pyramid Code was one of the first things I kind of dove into when I first started looking at Egypt. And that was a really weird place. And I remember that video perfectly. In fact, I watched it on Netflix not too long ago. But, you know, she's up there bringing these important questions up like, if they dragged stones up a ramp to build a pyramid, well, this place is on top of the hill. So they were bringing the stones up on top of the hill and it just didn't make sense. And there is just nothing left there, but a shaft in the ground. And that place always, you know, was a puzzle to me, but during my pyramid series, maybe the fifth or sixth video I did was on a place called the Northern Pyramid of Zayat al Ariyan. And when I started looking into this, and that's the first couple links, I believe, in my uh, in my uh, video page on your site there, but about the unfinished pyramid. But that was found in a military zone today, and it's covered in trash. And what was found at the bottom of that place was really one of the strangest pictures in all all ancient history research I've ever looked at. And that nobody had ever done a video on that place, so that place turned out to be very identical to the place up at Abu Rawash. And then the more I looked into it, you know, Carmen Bolter was up there and the place looks pretty cleaned up. But if you are familiar with a researcher named Antoine Gigo, and she has a YouTube channel and a website, but she was up there and she did a real good story on that place. And the only place that we are allowed, researchers are allowed up to Abu Rawash today is because current researchers put pressure on the Egyptian government to clean the place up. And they knew exactly where that place was because I think Lepsius and some of the earlier researchers in the 19th century were up there and they had it mapped out. Now who's claiming to find that pyramid of Jeffrey? Of course, Zahi Awas is on, you know, National Geographic saying that they, the Egyptologists discovered the great fourth pyramid of the fourth dynasty. And that is really a bunch of nonsense. They didn't discover it. Researchers, you know, 20 years ago were putting pressure on the Egyptian government to go up there and look because they knew exactly where it was. So that really got me interested and it seemed to be they were covering up something. And when you say, you know, 
the Egyptian government's covering up these pyramids. You really got to be sure what you're looking at. And then I found the place at Zayat al-Aryan, totally covered in trash in a restricted military zone with some of the strangest ruins at the bottom of that place. And I was really off on my way, and I found about seven other pyramids like this too that are called unfinished. Before we, before we unravel the whole story too far, let's just take them point by point. So first of all, let's deal with why some people consider this pyramid to be an unfinished pyramid. I mean, it, could you describe how it is? I mean, for example, is yes, it like... Uh, the pyramid up there in Abu Rosh, what they call mm-hmm. Jeffries, yes. is about 12 courses of really ancient worn stone around a shaft, an open shaft in the ground, and a descending ramp. And these are aligned to cardinal points. So you wonder why they were doing this and what the function of these was. But there is... You know, and there's a big controversy of what Jedefri's was, and that's really the only unfinished pyramid that people really talk about and know about. But there is there are so many others, and you can really only get a view of this from overhead on Google Earth. Yes, exactly. But, but what's really strange is there is, you know, big eight-foot-tall, perfect granite, pink granite blocks at the bottom of the pit at Zayed al-Aryan, and at the bottom of the one at Jeffrey's originally, and these were all hacked up and quarried out maybe 150 years ago, and there's documentation of that. But what was under these is the big mystery because the other unfinished pyramids I've looked at all have really strange passages and tunnels underneath them and large sarcophagus up to 150 tons, just like the Serapium. So this just opened up a whole can of worms for me, and I didn't stop talking about it for months. So let's just take it step by step. So it's it's a kind of a plateau or a, a man-made or constructed plateau, what's left of it. it it's raised up but on a mound, quite a large it, It's mound. on top of a natural hill, and yeah. I'm not sure exactly how hill, how tall the hill is, but if you go to my videos, you get a pretty good idea. Yeah. But basically, 12 courses of really ancient blocks yeah, and Surround. you can actually see you yeah. can see the Giza plateau from there. You can see the three pizzas, pizzas, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> the three pyramids. I was just had this a flash of something out of Carmen Bolter's pyramid. I understand. I fixed it. Um, it's it's a recurring warning on my telephone, which I'm just trying to deal with. I'm sorry about that. Okay, and and uh, it, on the web page is one of those that you're talking about. Is would that be link number one, Zayet El Aran? Yep, that the North the Pyramid. Com- yep, that video goes really over the comparison of Jedefri's, which a lot of people are familiar with if they know a lot about the Egyptian pyramids, and then it goes over what Barsanti discovered there, you know, about a hundred years ago, and he excavated before they brought in, uh, before it was in a restricted zone. And really, we have some drawings and some old black and white pics to go on, but the pyramid that is totally covered up in that restricted zone is pretty much identical to the one at at, uh, Abu Ruwash. And then down Mm. at Southern Dashur, and a few other spots, there's about eight other ones identical. And the story from Egyptologists is these pharaohs died at this time and their pyramids were stopped. Well, I think that's the greatest coincidence in history if 
nine pharaohs all or eight pharaohs all died at the exact same time in their pyramid was left in the exact same condition, you know, at the exact same impossible instruction. It it just the story we get is is fairly flimsy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I I hope you do a book on this. I mean, like just to compare them, you know. To I mean, like it's too obvious that they're all the same structure. You really get an idea of it from overhead on Google Earth because mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I was reading about these, but then as soon as I looked at it from overhead, I said, well, this is identical to this. And But what these things were, and I just think it's a different period of history because there's nothing Egyptian about these places whatsoever. And I've familiarized myself with uh, tombs. I've done maybe five videos where I go over the hieroglyphs and what each scene means in the tomb and these so-called unfinished pyramids and their flimsy documentation to a to a so-called pharaoh who might have scribbled something outside of these places it's it's really uh kind of you can kind of see two different periods of history who my goodness did we lose timothy he's dealing with his phone no i'm here oh oh, okay i'm just uh yeah it's um I, I was sort of planning to go in sort of uh, one by one into these un- unfinished pyramids to some extent. and uh, You can ask we, me about them one by one. I, I, I pretty much remember all my research one by one. I'm sure I'm you accused, do. I'm, I'm accused sure by uh, a few of my friends of having a photographic memory. So if there's any special way <laughs> that I have, it, it might be that. That might be a benefit to me. Excellent. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's focus on one of them because not all of our listeners have seen your your podcast yet, your your videos, and so I hope they they will do soon after the show. Um, but I mean, I think even one of one of the these unfinished pyramids, or I'm going to call them misunderstood pyramids, possibly, uh, was used in in a as a prop as a, as a movie, wasn't it? It was used in um, was it 19 I don't know what 1950, it was 1950, 1955. I think it was called Last of the Pharaohs. Yes, and it was actually a movie prop. And then, yeah, that uh, that was probably the last time the Northern Pyramid of Zayat al-Aryan, as it called, was uh, kind of uncovered. Because after that, it kind of got covered back up, and then the military zone moved in. But, yeah, that movie is on Turner Classic Movies once in a while, but there's some pretty – it's not the greatest movie, <laughs> in my mm-hmm. opinion, but it certainly has some interesting scenes at the site of that uh, strange construction. And Barsanti, when he went in there, was just blown away. He, yeah. he couldn't believe what he was seeing when he went in there. And this this is the one which has this incredible, uh, you know, modeled floor with huge stone blocks. And it has this very, very strange, not elliptical, but sort of like, um, how can I say? Uh, a tub. Tub. Yeah, but it's a, it's a very unusual tub. I've never seen this before in, in Egyptian nope. um, antiquities. It's kind of like a rectang- rectangular shape with rounded ends. There's probably a yes. proper geometric name for that, but it, it, it's very, very organic looking. It, it, it's very accurate. It's very precise. It's a pure piece of geometry. And it looks like it has a great purpose. You know, why, why would you build such an incredibly strong floor at right. a very accurately aligned cutting in, in the top of a mountain, which is surrounded by a sort of a, a square earthwork or, or base? And it also has a lid as well, doesn't it? Like a huge lid that looks from... That from was the... sealed on. It 
when you look at the pick, and I think it's a thumbnail for one of the videos on that I uh, have on your site there. Yeah. But I, I, I still, I mean, I made that video a year and a half, almost two years ago, and I still talk with other researchers, and we wonder what the heck that was used for. That is just a great mystery, and it's so strange. And other researchers have put out theories that those places were had something to do with uh, water flow, and but it really seems to me that it's very ancient and had something to do with the afterlife because that, that tub or that sarcophagus, that so-called pyramid at Zayat Arian is aligned and that pyramid or that tub, what they call a sarcophagus or a tub or whatever that thing is, is located, shifted into the Western side of yeah. that under, under, you know, that lower opened up chamber and, the Western symbolizes the land of the dead. So I can't help think that that somehow had to be symbolic, but why would they go to the trouble of bringing down dozens of 20, 30 ton pink granite blocks from God knows where to the bottom of this place, just to put a little tub type sarcophagus, I think is two and a half meters by one and a half meters across. That's incredible. Chuck, so, we're, coming mean, up on a, we're coming up on a break at the bottom of the hour. So in a few seconds, we're going to uh, just go and pause. But let's just leave the listeners hanging with it with a, a little nugget of information. Inside this tub, apparently there was uh, a black substance, what somebody has called black goo. Maybe we can get to the bottom of that after the break. So you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight, and the show tonight is Chronicles of a Contemporary Explorer, Unraveling Ancient History Without Agenda or Bias with our guest, Chuck Apps. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Side of Midnight, Chronicles of a Contemporary Explorer, Unraveling Ancient History Without Agenda or Bias. We're in conversation with Chuck Apps, an internet explorer. 
and I mean exploring the world. And take it away, Chuck. Hello. So, Chuck, what's all this black goo? What, what's that story about? Can you can you enlighten us? Well, that just deepens the mystery. I know uh, Barsanti did not collect any samples of it, but I think he said it was maybe a few centimeters. And black goo, it, that just opens up a whole bunch of possibilities. And I think there's a couple other uh, very strange, old, huge sarcophagus that have a similar type goo in it, but I've never really gotten to the bottom of what that actually was, and I think that might answer a couple questions, but that could be, it really could be anything. Well, what what comes to mind is, is first of all, the age. I mean, we're all led to believe that these sort of like early learning books that, you know, these pyramids were built as a tomb, and they were built sort of, you know, around up to the latest 4,500 4, years ago, and they were built by slaves with people marching up mountains with, you know, ropes and sleds with big blocks behind them and so on. I mean, that's complete and utter delusion, in my opinion. Um, so, for a start, whatever was in that, you know, that, that sarcophagus, whatever was ever in that tub, in my opinion, could have been far, far, far older. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking... I have no nothing to back this up with, but equally, I don't think there's anything to disprove it either. But I mean, we're looking at least, you know, 12,000, 13,000 years old, and probably that's only a milestone to something much, much older, in my opinion, because there's, there's no real way of dating stone, in my opinion. And uh, unless you find sort of something organic lodged between two stones, and let's face it, you know, these are sort of like hairline breadths joins between these some of these blocks um so it's very rare to find anything organic between that has not been exposed to the atmosphere so in my opinion i think we're looking at something far older and then it obviously begs the question what is the purpose again you know it, it, do you have do you have anything you'd like to to share with your 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 listeners with our listeners well, I think it's definitely old. I agree with you that it's very ancient and it's probably original structures built by the builder gods, as they are called by the uh, priests in the ancient text. And even Khufu and Khafre's priests in, the, in their ancient texts say that these structures were already here. And these are the people that Egyptologists say built these structures. So... I think we have some original structures and then we have a lot of time between when they were built and the start of dynastic history. There's also a pre-dynastic history. There's also a period called proto-dynastic history that leads into the, I mean, there's so many periods of history that could have built in and around these. And I think all the history kind of gets muddled and it's pretty easy for the Egyptologists to explain it in their general simplistic way. Chuck, where would you place Zeptepi? I mean, my understanding is Zeptepi is the first time, and that was a time which I understand is when the gods or the builder gods were walking on earth. Do you, would you agree with that statement, or do I, am, I, am I simplifying it too much? Nope, I think you have a good question. I think it's a question that a lot of people wonder about. A lot of people talk about the lost civilization because they really don't know a better term for it and when this all started and I have a um a pretty good a pretty good grasp of uh 
by connecting certain things. I think this all happened around uh, maybe 11,000 years ago. And I, I relate that by a few things. I think we have, of course, the story from Plato that says it was 9,600 BC that that Atlantis went under. And we have certain places in Egypt, and I've gone over them. Dendera is one of them that really hints that what became the dynastic Egyptians started a little over 10,000 years ago. And I've Dendera gone over that. Dendera is absolutely fascinating. I think it's something I'd love to go and see. You know, close up. Yes. Plus, uh, I think the Dendera Zodiac, which is really the oldest timepiece in Egypt, that is in kind of a spiral form. And if you look at the symbolism, it appears that time spun out of a period just over 10,000 years ago. I think that's what they were trying to tell us with that well, Zodiac. Think, yeah, that, that, that's actually the subject of my um, the images I, I've put onto the, the website. I think uh, I, it actually was stuck in my outbox. So I don't know if they're up there right now, but maybe we can look at them you know, during the show. Um, I think the words you've used there are very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. What you've used is, is that the time or Egyptian, ancient Egypt spiraled out of that time, that first time. Now, the idea of this circular, um, zodiacal sort of ceiling uh, design um, in Dendera, which shows a lot of the sort of known. Um, I'm not going to use the word star sign like uh, astrological sign or sort of um, zodiacal sign. I, again, I'm not probably being accurate there. Should I be saying, I should be saying zodiacal sign, which, which kind of relates to period and epoch, also a group of stars. Um, personally, personally, I think the constellations that we recognize them today started around the time that the Dendera Zodiac is trying to tell us just over 11,000 years ago. Yes. Yeah. And, and and that would fit with a civilization coming from what we call Atlantis to Egypt and starting the civilization because they say mm-hmm. they found 11,600 years ago. So that fits in that way. But what I find absolutely fascinating is what is right at the center of that zodiacal uh, image. The Nubis. Um, I know I sent it very, very late because this email was stuck in my outbox, but uh, did you see my, my email? Did you receive it with a couple no. of images? Sorry to say I've checked both email accounts and it's not showing up. And I'd like to make another announcement since we're stopping for a moment here. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a technical thing. For those who want to listen to the show by calling in on their phone, the number was switched. If you reload the page, you'll see the new correct number, and I'll read it out to you, and you can also find it on the page. It's 605-562-7945. And uh, there is a very strong possibility, very, very strong possibility that Richard will be hosting again next weekend. So everybody hold good thoughts. (laughs) All right. So Timothy, I'm checking both emails again. 
I don't know what I I don't know how to explain it because your email always comes through, and I'm even searching for your name and it's not coming through. Well, I sent them about from my side. I've sent them and received them. I've had confirmation of sending them three times now. So I, what I'll do is I'll drop them yeah. in the Skype window in a minute. Okay, and, uh, that that'd be best. There are uh-huh. six images. They're not huge. I I don't wish to sort of you know make it difficult for you, but I think things we're, we're talking so quickly about these subjects, it would be great to share that with the listeners. So, okay. Um, the, yeah, the, what I find is absolutely fascinating, sorry, to, just to reiterate, is this, is the point, the word you used to describe it, which is the Egyptians sprung out or spiraled out, and then of the center of this, this um, circular uh, zodiacal um, image, the Dendera. And Chuck, would you like to tell us what you find in the middle of that, in the center of that image? Because I find that absolutely astounding. Because I've been looking for that, and then you just you just very casually told me in one of your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> which, which character do you find in the center? The original god of Giza, the great god Anubis, as it is described in Chin text. Yeah. Now that, that's incredible because that puts a complete different perspective on on everything. I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna upload these images because I think that it's so important that they illustrate the the, the next direction. Kinte, would you like to um, just to jump in a second and to perhaps uh, just converse with Chuck for for a couple of minutes while I send these images to you, and then. Oh. Okay. I'm a man. I can't multitask very well, you know. I'm, I'm <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. I'm 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 pretty good at multitasking. I'm sorry, folks. You, uh, my my uh, disorientation here is that I just received news that my washing machine water is overflowing everywhere. <laughs> uh, my son just came up to tell me, "Mom, it's leaking downstairs." <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, okay. So, Chuck. <laughs> yes. Um, I am uh, looking here. I I'm sorry. I may be jumping out of order, but I'm looking here at your number two video, Egypt's huge pyramid mystery, the unfinished ones, and it looks like it's part of the sequence of the number one because the same picture is there. So. Um, I apologize. Those How many? Videos, those mm-hmm. two videos are are related. The first one goes over the very, uh, the very uh, noticeable similarities between the pyramid of Zayat Al Aryan and the pyramid of Jedefri, and then the second one goes over all the pyramids I found that they call unfinished pyramids. And you really get a good look on that second video from the overhead of the similarity of all of them. Okay, so I'm curious. Carmen Balter mentioned that, you know, the pyramids were in sight line of, you know, from one you could see the next one, and then from the next one you could see the next one. What is the geographic relationship between these pyramids? I've been trying to figure that out for quite a while. Uh It seems like me, the first thought, I was wondering if they were doing these and doing alignments to kind of get their fix on where exactly they were on the earth, because we know the Great Pyramid is located in a very special place. Mm-hmm. I, 
I also thought since there are so many of these, and I think there could be as many as 14 of these, and I wonder about the original myth of the 14 parts of Osiris being scattered across Egypt. I wonder about mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, this is just a big mystery, and I think uh, what, just as important as solving mysteries, I think one of the things on my channel that I think is very important that I do is just try to ask the right questions. Right. So that's, can you tell for the audience, can you tell them a little bit about the Osiris myth? Because some of them may not know you're mentioning about the 14 parts and that kind of seems significant to me, that number. Yes. Well, just the original myth of uh, Isis and Osiris and her husband or consort gets uh, in a fight with Seth and his body parts get scattered all over. And then he is uh, really Anubis plays a central part in that. And he is kind of resurrected back to life. And that's just a very general overview of it. But the important thing is they do scatter his body parts and say they bury him, you know, all over Egypt. So in the differences between these unfinished pyramids, that is just one of many different possibilities for these places. As I said, there's nothing Egyptian about these. They have chambers and tunnels. And uh, the other pyramid of Zayat al-Aryan, it's called the Layer Pyramid. And this, it's called the Southern Pyramid of Zayat al-Aryan because we don't know what to call it, really. That place has, I think, 132 niches like the Serapium has, you know, little chambers that sarcophagus go into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. There's, there's 132 niches under that place. And, the you know, what they say that pyramid was or is, they say it's probably unfinished, but they're, you know, what's underneath these is a big mystery. And I think... Mm-hmm. I think some of the Egyptian uh, later dynasties could have very well built on top of these original structures. And that's because a lot of the pyramids say, they say the internal core is missing. So you wonder if they just built over these things, the Egyptians. Mm. And are these on like ley lines of the planet? I, I wondered about that too, but the only thing that you can really tell about them is they are in no specific place really. Like really, because there there is one just in the northwestern Fayum region, north of uh, Lake Fayum, I guess it is called, mm-hmm. down maybe just what would it be, just west of the Maydum Strange Pyramid, and it's out in the middle of nowhere, and it has no attachment to the Nile, it has no causeway, it has no other ruins around it, so it's a very unique individual structure. So I don't think. So that just adds to the mystery. So, no, there is no really layout, but these have exact uh, aligned ramps. They are perfectly aligned to the cardinal points. So, if it's, are they all the same size or just the same no, shape? No, some of some of them are smaller. I think the one at Zayat Al Aryan is one of the bigger ones. I think the one at uh, Jadefres is smaller. There's one down south of the Bent Pyramid and Red, uh, and Red Pyramid down at Dashur that is even smaller than the one at Jeffries, but not much. Um, and these weren't even noticed by uh, Lepsius and Reisner and the people that were in Egypt 100, 150 years ago because they were up on top of hills. And they were just, oh. not- they were just noticing, you know, the obvious things. 
at Ashur, like the red and the bent and the Amenemet pyramid and stuff like that. So these weren't even really noticed till uh, really individual researchers got into these. And then I go over it in my uh, unfinished pyramid mystery video on your site. Some of the researchers got treated really strangely when they finally got into these. And some of the stories really are weird and disturbing even. What do you mean? It's treated strangely by whom? By the Egyptians? or? Well, well, I did a video, and this is in one of the videos, the second one on your site about the Unfinished Pyramid Mystery, where in 1957, a researcher got into one of these unfair, unfinished pyramids at Dashur, and he was all set to write a book about it and go public with it, and he was about ready to leave Egypt, and he got arrested at the Cairo airport and uh, was detained, humiliated, and was so was so disgraced that he never wrote the book and never went back into ancient research even. And I did a video on Zachariah Gonaim, who found a strange alabaster sarcophagus below the pyramid of Sekhmet at, uh, at Saqqara, which is a really strange place too. And uh, he ended up getting ridiculed because there was nothing in the sarcophagus and his body ended up floating in the Nile river and he was totally oh. disgraced. Yes. But I mean, he was disgraced to the point where they think he committed suicide. So mm -hmm. a lot of these places that it seems they don't want the history getting out. It, some of these stories end really strangely and it's, and so even this, even to this day, some of my researcher friends, I don't think you are exactly welcomed to the site of Nabu Rawash in Egypt. I'll just say that. Mm -hmm. So this was the Egyptian government that was... Yes. It seems they've always kind of wanted to keep these places hush-hush. And mm -hmm. they totally covered up the one at Zayed al riyan and that had the most mysterious ruins in it that were ever documented. So it, it just makes you wonder, you know. Yes, it does. Well, I think it would also be very useful to, to come in at this point. I'm, surround, I'm surrounded by a little Anubai uh, barking. <laughs> um, the, you know, we shouldn't just gloss over this point, but it is absolutely disgusting that one of these incredibly ancient sites has been used as a landfill and filled up with sort of, you know, uh, used nappies and shampoo bottles and plastic and organic material and condoms and god knows what else has been thrown in this landfill on this incredibly ancient site i mean who on earth would allow such a thing can you imagine in europe for example you know if there's like an ancient uh cathedral or something along those lines but these are new by going crazy um can you imagine if somebody, if the government just sort of says, okay, uh, well, you know what, we've been looking for a place to put this trash, and uh, there's a big hole in, in this cathedral. Nobody really uses it very much anymore. It's kind of over there on the hill a little bit. Let's just use that as a landfill. I mean, what right, right. in their right mind would, would suggest this, and, and who would allow it? What's even more disturbing is that isn't the only place that's in a military zone, and it seems to be just allowed to be covered up. So. Uh, if you really are into it and want to look at that, my Egypt pyramid series, it kind of, yeah, a theme kind of gets developed in that series. And 
also the flimsy documentation to the pyramids that these places are attached to. I really learned a lot on how they got, you know, to name each of these pyramids after a certain pharaoh and the flimsy little, just the little bit of stuff they used. It was almost humorous in a way. Well, I, I think it is. I mean, it, it looks to me like, I mean, I, I don't want to take anything away from Egypt, and Egypt is a fantastic country, and I, I love visiting that. But on the other hand, you know, it's, it's like all of the facts have been shoehorned into place to sort of uh, focus only a certain period of Egypt uh, to make you know, these, all of these monuments originate from a certain period of Egypt, but yet every single one of them, or most of them, scream at a different truth. I mean, they scream at uh, not being a tomb, or that they, they scream sort of hieroglyphics, which are perhaps more like restoration or, or repairs or paying homage to the original builder as opposed the to the actual architect. Yes, exactly. Yes, and even uh, that is one thing with hieroglyphs. Um, I've been looking at them for two years, and as I said in a recent video, I'm up to about a third grade level. So explaining them um, as a third grader, kind of, it's it's kind of hard. But I can recognize the different theme of the hieroglyphs. But a lot of hieroglyphs are paying homage to the gods. And the Dendera video I made about seems like Egypt spun out of this period a little over ten thousand years ago they really pay homage to the pre-dynastic gods on the wall in that tomb. And it's just something that if you really spend a lot of time looking at, you can kind of tell what they're trying to tell you. And I think that's one of the things that Graham Hancock has said a lot. You know, I think we should listen to what the ancient Egyptians actually tell us as their history instead of the Egyptologists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Dendera site is, is incredible. I, I, I just, I'd love to go there. Um, and in these images, which I've sent to Kintia now uh, by Skype, uh, maybe sometime later after the break, we can we can come to them on the, on, on the other side of Midnight website. But on there, I think it's important to see them as we discuss them, because you know, otherwise I'm going to spend 10 minutes describing everything. And uh, I believe those are of the uh, pre-dynastic gods that I was talking about of yeah. uh, Pei and Niken. And that is, I think, a Horus and Anubis type god. Yeah. But these are uh, gods of a different time period, and they're well described. Yes. But but I think in, in every way, I mean, for example, if I look at sort of ancient, ancient history, you know, and I look at more recent history, I mean, you see the same phenomenon with, with all sorts of ancient texts, but, you know, ancient facts, people, places, and dates are kind of reinterpreted you know for example uh you know religions are, are taken over they're built on the shoulders of a pre previous belief system and so on so you know the people today that say no my religion is the only religion my text is the only text i mean that that is it's, it's an evolution it's an evolution yeah, well, it's a long journey and uh you know in the same way as that you take the original players of you know like anubis for example osiris or Set or Horus or Isis or whichever it is, I still think those characters are then re-established in sort of different times with different facts and different elements of the story. It's the same story, it's just moving through the evolution of time. Right, right. And Anubis is the Greek term for that god. Yes. His original name was Kentiamentiu. Can you run that past me again? Kentiamentiu. 
Gentium mentiu. Right? That is the old language name for Anubis. And it's really, uh, it was really interesting studying the ancient texts because Anubis was the original god of, of the West, the original god of Giza. Yes. So, and then about uh, maybe 4,200 years ago, something really, really, really bad happened in Egypt, whether that was uh, a long sustained drought or whatever, but something really bad happened. A lot of people died. There was famine. People are even uh, portrayed as being super skinny. There's even suggestion of cannibalism in the ancient text. But the god changed at Giza from Anubis to Osiris. And in the ancient text, what they did is where they were writing about Anubis, they just changed the word to Osiris. So you have them talking about Anubis, and all of a sudden, Osiris is implanted in the ancient text. So you can actually tell where, when and where this happened. So I think that is important to mention because people are confused a little bit about the gods of Giza. Absolutely. I think it, this, is, this is the same phenomenon we're living in right now. I mean, I think we're living in a time, like in the, the text we outlined for the, the show this evening, is that we live in a time when digital history is being modified right before our eyes. You know, we, we talk about this frequently on the show, that because all the information is now held on servers in the cloud somewhere, and people are less busy with reading books or holding books or, you know, actually physically having them on a shelf, that the information is, is more susceptible to being changed just little by little. And mm -hmm. it's sold in the sort of the idea of democracy, like sort of, for example, Wikipedia, where everybody can contribute and police and write comments and modify and refine. But I mean, ultimately, somebody makes a decision, I guess, to say, well, that comment goes through and that fact has changed, that date is updated and, and that one doesn't. So ultimately, somebody is guiding it, steering it. And, you know, if, for example, the name of a, a major player is changed from, for example, you know, as, as you just, just set out, from Kenti Imenti, you, excuse me, um, yep. to Anubis, to, you know, Osiris or whatever it is, then history is being changed. And future generations wouldn't know the difference. The gods changed in Egypt frequently, and it didn't matter if you were related to a previous, even pharaohs who were considered gods, your, the previous monuments got defaced, and the gods changed. And especially hieroglyphs, they changed over the years. I think they were very simple and basic at the beginning, and then they just get more complex as the dynasties uh, develop and continue, and you can see it clearly. Yeah. Well, we're about to come up on a on a major break at the top of the hour. Um, Kintia, will you lead us into to that shortly? So I don't want to get too deep into the next subject, but uh, there's so many questions I have for you, Chuck. But <laughs> All right. So we're on the other side of midnight. Chronicles of a Contemporary Explorer. Chuck Apps is our guest tonight. We will be back. Thank you. 
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.